Hey, welcome to Gen X Voice. Nobody asked us, so let's get our voices heard. Written off years ago as the Slacker generation, we actually have brought a lot to the world behind the scenes. Now we need to bridge two opposing generations and make sure non-Karen voices are heard. I'm your host, Trish The Dish, and I'm going to interview Gen Xers being rad and doing cool shit in the world. You can follow me at Gen X Voice on Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. Check out other podcasts, videos, and blogs at genxvoice.com. Even though the focus of this platform will be to celebrate Generation X, the goal is to interview as many people as possible from lots of generations, backgrounds, and experiences. Let's unpack some of our differences and attempt to discover what truly ties us all together. With so much division and pain in the world today, instead of shutting people down for their age or other features outside of their control, let's listen to these voices and discover common ground so we can come together and create a better world for all. I don't want to be an army one. This episode's guest is one half of the podcast Haitian American Diaries, which brings to light stories of being first-generation Americans and how having Haitian parents affected how they grew up. It is important to point out that Haitians were viewed negatively when she was young in New Jersey, as there was an influx of immigrants from, ha- from Haiti in the 1990s. I was so excited to have Liz come on and talk about this a little deeper, as well as discuss how the Black Lives Matter movement and Karens affect her personally today. We also discuss how mental health awareness has really gained momentum thanks to millennials like her. Oh, and there's a weird knocking sound that occurs frequently throughout the interview, so I apologize in advance. But anyway, here's Liz, and I hope you not only enjoy this episode, but walk away with some insight and a desire to listen to her and her sister's podcast. Hi, Liz. Hi, Trish. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you today? Wonderful. Um, so I know you're from the East Coast, but where are you currently living? I live in Georgia right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know you guys mentioned in your podcast that um, Georgia was in, in, in there as well as New Jersey. Um, so how I know this is really super cheesy to ask you, but um, as a desert dweller, I'm really obsessed with weather because it's always sunny and hot here. So <laughs> <laughs> although today it's cloudy and chilly, so I'm like super excited. How's the weather in Georgia today? It's nice. It's cloudy, but it's not cold. Um, it's it stays pretty nice well up like up until like November, probably usually around my birthday. That's when it really starts getting cold. I was born. Um, my birthday is November 20th. So right now it's still nice, mild weather. Like I'm wearing short sleeves today. It's, it's pretty nice. Oh my gosh, Liz, you are so close to being a Sagittarius like myself. Oh yeah. I'm a Scorpio. I'm right on the end, right, right at the very right end. Right on the cusp. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Do you ever read Sagittarian horoscopes though and go, mm, I feel like you guys, I think that's me too. No, I feel like I'm diehard Scorpio. No, I'm, oh, I'm 100% really? Scorpio. Yeah. And I haven't really looked, I might need to read it a little bit, but when I read Scorpio, I'm like, Oh, yep. That's me. <laughs> well, I mean, here, here's the thing about Sagittarians. We're painfully honest. We uh, can't focus on one thing for very long. Um, because we're we're constantly thinking about the next adventure or the next thing, um, and we're real we're really social, but we're super loners. So does that sound like you in a nutshell, or <laughs> totally opposite? Nah, still nope. <laughs> yeah. <Scorpio. laughs> 
So um, do you think that your so just to give a little um, introduction, um, Liz, you and your sister do a podcast called um, the Haitian American Diaries. Yes. And this is um, a really wonderful and honest podcast about um, your identity as a first generation Haitian American. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and ask um, do you think that your um, obvious love for horoscopes, does that come from your family and kind of the Haitian? Um, belief of a little, little bit more spiritual, maybe than um, than non-Haitian families. Actually, no. I mean, there is. I know, like Haitians have like the you know, voodoo and all those type of things, but we didn't really like l- learn about that stuff growing up. So my thing was just kind of I kind of just delved into this horoscope stuff on my own. I don't think I don't even think I've ever even talked about it with my parents. Surprisingly enough. <laughs> oh so, yeah, and, and and just for the record, I just I definitely did not assume that you guys were into voodoo. I have listened to your podcast, and I know that that's a stereotype. But I still wondered though if there was an element of spirituality, or because I know you you guys went to um, you and your sister went to Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was trying to figure out. Well, how does someone that go to that goes to a Catholic school? end up being like, nope, I'm a Scorpio. Like, <laughs> I'm really confident in that. <laughs> I, you know, we went to Catholic school because it was the right thing to do based on the area we lived in because we grew up in Newark, New Jersey, which is kind of a little rougher area and the crime rate and everything. So, but at home, religion wasn't really like a huge thing. Like, you know, like we believe in God and everything, but that wasn't like really instilled in us. I think my parents were just like, this is the right thing to do. Send you guys to Catholic school. You guys will grow up well and be, you know, well-behaved kids. Um, But we never really went to church or anything unless we went to church with my grandparents. So we kind of like, me and my sister kind of like developed our own connection with like religion and things like that. My sister's more spiritual. I'm a little more like God and pray and things like that. So it's, it's very strange how we've just kind of created our own thing. Actually, I feel like that's so typical of um, Gen X and millennial. Um, I feel like we are kind of a melting pot of spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I really enjoyed um, listening to uh, your podcast um, about how you think that your parents were maybe a little concerned when you'd go to church that like maybe that would be your thing. And, um, and, and then you described like the, like, um, cause it was it seventh day Advent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, so it was like a, like a 12 hour, oh, <laughs> I know gosh. you were kidding, but um, <laughs> so well, my, grandpa, my grandpa was a deacon in the Catholic church. So when you talked about, um, after mass and having like food and all that stuff, like, um, and, and like all of the Haitian families would like have all this food and stuff. I was like, man, that's way better than, um, our dumb old Catholic, you know, <laughs> just, we just had like donuts and <laughs> like from Winchell's or, you know, oh my gosh. So, um, so that's really neat. You, um, you, and you told me, um, off the air that you are, um, you're not really that connected to the millennial 
um, stereotypes that you, can you just explain a little bit more about that? Because I thought that was really interesting. Oh, if you don't mind telling us how old you are, what year you were born. I was born in 1986. I will be 34 next month. Um, And I feel like I keep losing track of how old I am after 30. I'm like, I'm 31, right? And it's like, no, no, Liz, you're definitely about to be 34. So, um, I get worse in your 40s. I'm like, wait, 45 is really important. Like, I'm in 75, it's 2000. Okay. But there was a couple years there after turning 40 that I was like, I don't know, am I like 42, 42? <laughs> I would ask my mom all the time. I'd be like, mom, when I was younger, mommy, how old are you? And she's like, I don't know, 40, 45, 50, who knows? And I'm like, oh yeah, I see how that happens. You completely lose track. But I mean, I think as far as being a millennial, I feel like we get like a bad rap. It's like, oh, they don't know the value of hard work and all they know is social media. And, you know, like we're just in this bubble. And I'm like, no, like I have a connection to like, no, not having social media playing outside and, you know, growing up, you know, doing like weird, crazy building forts and not being connected and trapped to a TV, you know, a TV screen or a computer screen all the time. I, I feel like I have a really good work ethic and I'm not, whiny and a complainer <laughs> like millennials get that like whiny complainer stereotype so <laughs> I'm like no maybe maybe I was born in in the wrong decade or something but or maybe there's a little bit more to our parents and how um our parents raised us true um yeah. than than maybe um uh the age group but um because I have a couple friends who are mid thirties that say the same, like, um, you know, that they definitely have this desire to, to like, like things that are a little bit older than them. Um, Mm -hmm. because when they were kids, they wanted to be teenagers and things. So what, um, how are your parents considered baby boomers or the silent generation? Do you know what year they were born? My parents would be considered baby boomers, but I don't, I guess I don't connect that with them because they were born in Haiti. So it wasn't like that whole like, oh, came home, you know, parents came home from war and, you know, had the babies. And that's how the baby boomer generation is kind of formed. Mm -hmm. They were in Haiti. So it was kind of just like, just by chance, they were born in the 50s. Yeah. And that's really um, an interesting point, too. What when you hear people say, okay, boomer, and I, I feel like I ask this in every single episode, but I really am trying to like unravel this sort of, um, you know, cultural um, silo that we've placed older people in. Um, what do you think of when people say that, when you see that on social media, what is that? How does that make you feel knowing your parents are so different than American baby boomers? Um, I think it's, it always makes me laugh, honestly, whenever I see, I actually, that happened the other day, a friend of mine, um, his mom was posting stuff about like, oh, the, um, the stimulus checks and all that type of stuff. And she was complaining. And then her son went on there and was like, okay, boomer. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh Lord. <laughs> okay, good. So for you, it's not, you're not taking it as seriously as some people who are like, um, it's offensive. It's, you know, it's not allowing for a conversation to be had across generations of why, why maybe baby boomers think the way they think. 
Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I just don't think, take it that seriously. I think, and plus, I guess just the way my parents are, my parents are very understanding and they seem to like grow with the times. So my concept of like a, you know, a boomer mentality, it feels like a little different just with my parents. What could you, can you pinpoint kind of what you would say would be the biggest difference between your parents um, having come from Haiti to maybe um, American parents? And I don't mean like Simpson kind of American parents, but surely you've had sleepovers when you were a kid with no. families. <laughs> Wrong. Oh. oh. <laughs> How did I miss that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so Haitian parents are pretty strict. Um, one of like the jokes in like for Haitian American kids is like, it, there was no like trick or treating, like no, that's dangerous, and wait, somebody's wait, gonna wait, 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 wait. You never trick or treated as a kid. Um, in school, like you know, oh. we went from class to class, but not like actually out in the street. No, never. Wow, never, never been trick or treating. I've had sleepovers, but it was very, very rare. Like it was like a begging, like please, can we have a sleepover? Um, yeah, they're just very strict, and they're very like family like they want to keep family together and not really it, there isn't really like a lot of outside influences and I think they also try to like protect us um and make sure that there isn't any bad influences coming in so that I think that was that's part of being they shelter us a lot wow so really kind of insulating the family unit do you, mm-hmm. Did you have a lot of family? I, I feel like when you're when you were interviewing your dad, which was such a sweet episode. I love my dad. Um, He's the best. Yeah, he just and and as he warmed up with being on the podcast, you could tell that he like really started to like have his personality shine through. Oh yeah, he was so nervous at first. We're like, right? it's okay. relax. <laughs> He's like, oh. I know it's so cute. Like, um, people are just not used to this kind of you know. It, well, and they probably think like wow this is like being on a radio program you know right, yep. but um mm-hmm. he had mentioned that like his mom and his brother moved up here um up here I'm mm-hmm. I'm in Arizona I'm thinking in New, <laughs> in New York you know up there um like I'm there so I'm up here okay sorry but anyway um are those the only family members that kind of migrated from Haiti and why Newark oh, I mean, I know that your uncle went to um, to, to school in, in New York, but Newark of all the places. I don't know. Um, so everybody <laughs> kind of, so my dad was the last in his like mom and two brothers to come. And then when he met my mom and they got together and reunited in um, New York, he helped bring the, all of her family. My mom has a br- pretty big family. She has six siblings. Um, so he helped bring her siblings over what? and her her grandmother and her mom. Um, he helped bring all of them over. So then everybody was kind of living. We were all like kind of living together at randomly type times where um, my mom's family was, were living with us. So we were always with like a lot of people, like all our aunts and uncles and cousins were like always around. Wow. I'm okay. So I'm like an only child. So the idea of that is just, and my family is very not 
close. Um, <laughs> are you now, as a woman in almost her mid thirties, I'll still consider you early thirties at thirty four ish. Thank you, thank um, you so much. <laughs> no, we don't need to age before we our time, right? Even if you have an old soul, if you relate to my generation more. But um, are you? Do you have like a big family? Are you? Are you um, a parent? Do you have like? Are you trying to recreate that or are you kind of like on your own and never want to marry, never want to have kids, never want to do any of that? I want to have a big family. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm kind of slowly getting up there in age. So I don't know how much time I have to have as many kids as I would like. Um, but I would like three if I can. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. You can always adopt. It's an option. It's an option. Um, I would like to try to first on my own and then, you know, whatever happens, happens after that. Wow. But so the idea of having um, people, people around and having those sort of big is, is the, is the pandemic, is it, is it hard because obviously um, there's not as many big gatherings or is your family just like, nope, we're still together or are they in Georgia with you? Did everyone leave New York to, to Georgia? No, we were the only, me and my parents, my sister were the only ones that moved to Georgia. My mom's siblings have slowly started moving. Like she has a sister that's in um, Florida and then her other sister's planning to move to Florida. So they're kind of shifting. And I don't really don't know how they all ended up in Newark. I think maybe it was cheap, you know, it's cheap and they were just starting out and they kind of just settled there. Um, and now they're kind of all slowly migrating South. Um, but I would like to continue that right now. Um, I do see my parents, but I don't really like, I haven't hugged my parents in like months. I can't remember the last time I hugged my dad. I, and my dad's, um, 70. So I try to be, I don't even really come very close to him at all. Um, I'm usually like, hi daddy. And I just sit across from him in the living room kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of sad because I'm like, I haven't hugged him since like March. So, um, so as a really close family, um, you were really, you and your sister were really brave to share this, um, extraordinary, um, recovery that your sister, um, had, um, coming off of heroin. And mm -hmm. that was a really incredible episode, um, that you and your sister, um, were so raw and so authentic. And I just want to applaud you, um, both for tackling mental health. One thing that you brought up and it's been brought up in, um, in a couple different circles that I run in, um, with millennials and Gen Zers, because um, I work at a university, so I'm really lucky to have younger people around keep keep me grounded, you know. <laughs> um, and that is that your generation really is the one that's brought mental health to the forefront. Why do you think that is? Um, it just seems like people are more willing to be honest about it now. I think you know they're that taboo type of feeling where it's like a hush hush isn't there anymore. I know growing up, it was kind of like my parents or my grandmother would be like, Oh, those are crazy people, you know, just kind of brush it off. But I think as we've gotten older and more willing to just 
it, you know, like own up to it. It's like, okay, I'm not going to be shameful if I have anxiety or if I have depression or if I'm struggling with some type of addiction, like it needs to be brought up. And obviously people want to get help for things. So it's like the only way I'm going to get help is if I talk about it. So I think that's part, part, maybe some of it just wanting to be honest, open and honest. Yeah. And, um, and I want to say thank you for that because of, um, so I, I'm sure my listeners are so confused about my life because it's like, I had a computer when I was like 10, but then I lived with my grandpa when I was 12. And, you know, um, and it's because there was a lot of really crazy manic up and downs because my mom, we didn't find out until years later, um, was suffering from bipolar disorder. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, and wasn't diagnosed till mid fifties. Can you imagine how much different someone's life could be um, if they would be able to recognize their quote unquote, you know, crazy inside of their brain as really quite normal. Um, what led you down the path of uh, mental health as a career? Is that something that you're still doing? And, and I'm sorry, I, 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 I was so into the episode, but I completely missed what your, you got a master's degree in social work or psychology? Um, clinical mental health counseling. Oh, so I'm, okay. Way off. I'm so sorry. It's okay. No, it's good. <laughs> There's a lot of content in the episode. Yeah, it was a lot up. to unpack. Yeah. It's, it, I highly recommend that one. It's so good. Um, so I'm, I'm a LPC licensed professional counselor. Um, I kind of fell into it randomly. I thought I was going to be a lawyer from the age of five. And then somehow after taking the LSAT and not feeling like I did very well. Um, I was literally on a train going to the airport and then I saw a sign for that program at um, Mercer University in Georgia. And I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. And I went to the information session and was like, oh, I think I would want to like do this. I, Cause I always wanted to be a lawyer, but I wanted to be a lawyer for juveniles who were, you know, somehow got in the system and, you know, try to help them and figure out why did you do this bad thing? And I'm like, maybe I should kind of go a little deeper and maybe help people that are going through things that may, you know, end up falling down the wrong path because of their mental health. Um, So right now I'm not practicing. My license is still active and everything, and I could practice if I want, but I do more administrative work for the VA right now. I work for the Veterans Crisis Line. Um, So, wow, thank you so much. Our veterans need good people um, working in those hospitals and, um, so that's, that's really, thank you so much for doing that. Um, but so, um, one of the things that you guys brought up, or at least you personally, um, that I kind of wanted to get a little deeper with, because obviously it was more your sister that was doing the talking, but, um, you had mentioned that because of your mental health, um, studies and, and your background, you were able to pull the family um, and rally them together to support your sister as she um, was battling a, a three-year heroin addiction. Um, how, how did you do that? How, what tools did you use to do that? Um, I'm really one of those people that under pressure, I get like a complete sense of calm. Like in any chaotic situation, I'm like, I, it's like all of my senses kind of just dull and then I'm able to like think clearly. It's very weird. It's like a very strange thing. Um, and it's just kind of 
I'm like a problem solver. If I see something is wrong or something needs to happen, then like my goal is to make sure that it gets fixed. And obviously with my sister, cause we're, you know, so close that I, it was sad. Like, it was just like, Oh my God, like this person that I grew up with isn't even the same person anymore. And nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows how to, you know, fix this. Um, the friends around her weren't really, um, the, the best people at that time. Um, so I think I've just spent a lot of time like talking to my dad because my dad was kind of just like, she chose to go there. What do you know? What do you expect us to do? And I think over time, as I was like learning more and more and going to like I was in school at the time, I think one one of my classes, I took an addictions class and one of the assignments was to go to pick any type of like either an NA meeting or Al-Anon meeting or, a, you know, one of those things. And so I went to, um, a meeting for family members with people um, that are, have addicts or um, in their family. And I went to one of those meetings and just hearing the stories. And I was just like, I can't let this be my life. Like I can't allow this to continue this down this path. Like I don't want to be going to these meetings and hearing these stories of, yeah, he went back into treatment again and we don't know what to do. He ran away again. I didn't want that to be my life. I was like, no, I'm not like, this isn't going to happen. So it was was just like, I didn't feel like I had any other choice, but to find a way to, to fix it. And your sister has been clean now for seven years. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And do you think it's because you were able to rally the family around her? I don't want to take credit for that. Oh, sure. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> Definitely. There's something your sister. That's a very good point. But, but I mean, you do hear, like you said, so many stories of people falling back into it. What do you think? Do, do, surely some of that support and love from the family help. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I have a very like I have a very like tough love type of vibe with my sister. Um, I'm not like the most emotional person and and all that. Um, but I think she, if she does see me get very affected by something, um, it 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 hurts her because she knows that it takes a lot for me to get to a point where I'm like devastated. Um, so I maybe you know. Part of that is like, oh, I'm look at, looking at my, you know, I'm looking at my little sister that's so affected by what I'm doing. Maybe, maybe part of it was that, you know, she didn't want to hurt, hurt me or didn't want me to be disappointed in her. Um, I want to think maybe it's like 5% of it. <laughs> wow. But I mean, again, huge, huge kudos to your sister for being able to come through that um, and, and a continued life without it, um, because that is just... Um, the hardest drug to kick. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I w- I'm really curious, the, the connection that you're talking about and that you have with your sister, um, it, it's, it sounds like it's been you two kind of against the world from the beginning. I really loved, um, I, I believe it's your first episode, that you kind of explain what it was like um, being um, Haitian, um, Haitian American in a predominantly black school. And, um, cause neither of you were born in the United States or no, you both were born in the United States, right? But, but yet your sister, um, you guys kind of go into this conversation about how your sister, um, kind of was like English was a second language, but really 
um, the stories that you guys tell about um, about being at that school and just the struggles. Um, but you guys really bonded together. Can you can you share maybe a story for our listeners that was maybe the most intense um, thing that happened to you guys while you were in that elementary school? Um, I think a lot of, a lot of the stories, um, and we laugh about it cause we, we find humor and everything, but, um, I was kind of like a little mouthy girl, I think. Um, and so I would like get into situations where there would possibly be like a fight and my sister was, like they would, people would like run to her classroom and be like, "Jennifer, your sister is about to get into a fight," oh my God. and she was always like, she would always like run to my rescue. I remember one time something happened with like me and a boy, and I think he like said he, it was he said that I had like touched him, and I didn't like in a inappropriate way, and I was like I didn't like kind of like make fun like and make a big scene, and I started crying, and I was like really really upset. And I guess someone told her that this happened and she probably would hate me for telling the story, but she, <laughs> she like literally burst through my classroom door. Like teacher was there and everything. And the nun's like, you can't be in here. And she's like, where the F is Anthony? Where the F is he? And she's, and that, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and this is your younger sister. <laughs> I'm like, we were, I was in sixth grade and she was in eighth grade. Oh, she's the oldest sister. <laughs> she's the oldest. She's oh, the oldest. Okay. And she's like, she's like, where the F is he? And he's, and they're like, he's right there. Like everyone's like, he's right there. And she, and she's like, she gets in his face and she's like, don't you ever say that my sister did something that she didn't do ever in your life. I will like, whatever, like do something. And he was like, okay, okay. She didn't say, she didn't do it. She didn't do it. And, but that's just kind of the, the person that she is. I think um, part of like feeling like maybe she was like not in control of like her learning and being pigeonholed in these certain ways as she developed like this really like thick skin where she's like, I have to, you know, assert myself. Sure. And, and so like, that was just kind of like her way. Like, you're not, you know, like, I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. Like, why am I in these classes? Well, then I'm gonna, you know, show that my strength in other ways. So wow. that's just kind of, <laughs> oh my gosh, you must have been so stoked, though. Because like, what? <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> but like, that, um, that's kind of like a champion story. Whereas you guys shared a story in which one of the one of your fellow Haitian American um, peers had a rat put in her pocket. So we were in our um, we were at the lunchroom. She was one of my close friends at the time. We were at the lunchroom. Um, she was I think she was born in Haiti though, so she had an accent and you know her. She, she, I guess she gave off the vibe of being an, an immigrant because um, the way she dressed and everything. So she got made fun of a lot. And one day we were in the lunchroom. She put her hand in her pocket and a, a mouse um, fell out onto the table. And everybody like freaked out, like, oh my God, she has a mouse in her pocket. She's Haitian. So she obviously must live in a dirty house. That's why she has a mouse in her pocket. But it was put, put there. Like she didn't have a mouse in her pocket. It was, um, it was obviously just a, a way of embarrassing her. Um, and those are the kind of things that would happen. Um, just being, being Haitian 
in that type of environment, um, a lot of times we would get bullied because of being Haitian. And it was pretty sad. So I've got to ask you, Liz, um, what do you, what does the Black Lives Matter movement mean to you having kind of been in an environment where Black Americans were not as accepting of you? Um, I mean, I still identify as Black regardless. So I don't, I don't like, it's not like I don't feel connected to it. Because obviously, you know, if you see me walking down the street, you're not like, oh, she's Haitian. It's like, no, she's a black girl. So I'm getting treated like a black person. Um, so obviously it's definitely something that affects me. I think it's only different in the sense, um, and me and my sister talk about it in one of our episodes, it's only different in the sense that our connection to maybe some of the history of um, like slavery and everything is a little different. Um, just being Haitian, we we didn't necessarily grow up with like, I can't, may, I'm sure somewhere down the line, there's like somebody in my family that was a slave and all that, obviously, but I don't, it's just not something that's talked about maybe. And I think in black American culture, it's more prominent, like, oh, my, you know, great grandmother was, you know, a slave at this place. And it's more known the, where the connection is and where with my family, I don't, I don't know where that connection falls. So I, it's kind of different. Do you think that we are moving in a better direction, though, that because more people are talking about race? Um, I don't know. I don't. It's weird. It feels scarier to me now. Like, I feel more nervous maybe around white people sometimes because you don't know because you see videos and you're like looking at somebody that's like shouting all this like racist you know rhetoric and you're like that looks like my neighbor like is that my neighbor thinking that it's it's kind of gives you like an uneasy feeling and I think growing up I never really had that feeling like it was just like oh people are people and whatever um but now I'm I'm I kind of start you know questioning like how am I being perceived a little bit more than I I used to I think I've I've have like a different level of anxiety well I really hope our listeners um really really ponder that for a second the fact that you did not grow up fearing white people but now because of the actions of people like our Karens and Chads Mm -hmm. um you're starting to fear white people. I think that's really poignant. And I think that's really important to share. And I really appreciate you for, um, for bringing that to light because that is true. Um, I don't know if you heard about the Karen act that just passed in San Francisco the other day, um, no. but it is um, basically um, one can sue someone because obviously Karen after, you know, the, millennials term for my generation (laughs) calling um people um for no reason um being black for being black um but anyway they you you can actually sue someone for calling the police on you for no reason oh wow in san francisco so um hopefully we're in a place in history where things are kind of 
kind of expanding and getting, you know, crazier. And although um, I have friends who've also said, Trish, this is always the way it's been. And um, we're just seeing it more now because this is a black friend telling me this, that like, we're just, we're just seeing it more now because people have the ability to record it a lot more now. So hopefully it's like a, like a bubble, right? Like it's just getting bigger and bigger and then it's going to pop and we're all going to be able to go to look back on this point in history and be like, wow, good thing that happened because now we don't have, um, it's not, it's not as acceptable to be, um, outwardly racist anymore. Just like you can't go around, um, you know, demeaning and beating children in public. I don't know. I just, it might take us a while, Liz, but that's my hope. I don't know about you. A girl can hope. (laughs) Right. So Liz, um, we've now come to the part in the podcast where I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What's your favorite memory from childhood? Holidays. My birthday is around, uh, Thanksgiving. Um, we always had huge Thanksgivings with all the family come over and big Christmas. Um, so holidays are always, always, always my favorite. I love the holidays. It's even Mm. now. Same, but I, I was like so jealous that my birthday was a week before Christmas and I always got the one present. Um, so I be, I, I created Trishmas. (laughs) No, no, no. I need to be recognized on my own too. (laughs) Did you ever have the the Christmas slash um, birthday gift too? Um, or are you far enough away from Christmas that it wasn't like that for you? Oh, I'm far enough that I got both. It was awesome. Oh, was like, you're so lucky, was, Liz. It was like, yes, I got this <laughs> month and the next month I'm going to get more stuff. Yes. Yeah, it was the best. Um, do you have a favorite 80s band? And if so, or or favorite 80s song? Um, I love 80s music. Um, I like uh, Pat Benatar and Michael Jackson. Um, and a lo- I'm really, really like an old soul. So I love um, when, I, when I, I looked and I was like, what 80s songs do I like? And then I looked and I'm like, oh, I like all of these. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> One of us. What about your favorite 80s film? Um, probably like either Stand By Me or Dirty Dancing. Oh, you are so Gen X. That's awesome. Um, and why did you go to college? Um, I always knew I was going to go to college. I think um, it was, I was, I think I'm the first one to graduate, actually. I think I am the first one to graduate for my, um, like our first generation group. And be- you're the first person in your family with a master's degree. Yes, first with the master's I am as well. I'm I'm the first person in my family with a master's degree. So wear that proudly, Liz, because I know I do. <laughs> I mean, education was always like a big thing for us. Like my parents are always like, you got you to gotta go to school. You got to be smart. You got to, you know, do good. So I, I was five and I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. So I, I, it was never a question. <laughs> That's awesome. What inspired you to do your podcast? I'm throwing um, it, I'm throwing in a different a different kind of rapid fire. We don't I don't usually ask this one in the rapid fire, but um but yeah, what inspired you to do the podcast? Um our podcast, The Haitian American Diaries, we I I 
asked my sister to do it because I just remember when we grew up, we would literally record ourselves doing shows. Like we would make up shows at like seven and nine years old, make up shows, record ourselves doing cooking shows. Like we had a very vivid imagination. We would make up our own commercials. And I was like, we were good. And my dad thought we were going to be like, you know, child stars, but we never did anything with it. And I was like, man, we have so much personality. We should do this for real. So yes. I just asked my sister and she was like, yeah, let's do it. So well, I'm so glad you did. Liz, let's go ahead and plug your show. And where can people find you on social media platforms? Um, the Haitian American Diaries is on Instagram. So Instagram at Haitian American Diaries, Twitter at H-A-D Diaries. <laughs> And we had to shorten it for Twitter. It was annoying. Right. Um, and then we're on all of the like major podcast platforms. Um, so, uh, I, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify. All and if you search us, you will find us. If you Google us, you will find us. <laughs> I, did, I did it the other day, and I was like, "Oh, we show up like right there." Isn't that the coolest <laughs> feeling? Oh my gosh, that was like the coolest thing when I saw like my Facebook page for Gen X Voice pop up when I Googled. It was the first choice. I was like, "Yes, yeah, we are the first choice." And I was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." <laughs> A little happy dance. Um, well, and again, listeners, you've got to check them out. Just the stories and um, just just. You, you do have dynamic personalities. So what was your, um, oh, what kind of music was your favorite as a teen? I was obsessed, obsessed with NSYNC and Britney Spears. Obsessed. Oh, perfect. And I still love Britney Spears now, even though she's fallen off the rails, but I still love her too. <laughs> See, um, that is 100% millennial. So you really, <laughs> you really are riding that like zenial train just a little bit there with your um, 80s love for Stand By Me. And then, but, you know, in sync and Britney, I mean, you can't get much more millennial than that. I know. Right? <laughs> I know. And Liz, just to... Um, get a little serious here. Um, if you had the ability to um, speak to any generation or all generations and give them life advice, either to get through the hard times or just in general, um, what would you say? Um, I think I would just do it the way I live. And I tell my sister this all the time. You cannot control how other people react to you or how they perceive you. All you can do is control your own emotions and get through it that way. I think um, a lot of people get very affected by like other people. And even though it's very easy to like, even like my, my anxiety now around, you know, white people or whatever that is, you know, I, all I can do is be like confident in my actions and, and intentional in how I treat people Um and be calm with it in, in that sense. If I know that I'm doing the right thing every day, if I know I'm treating people well, um, then I know that that's, I, I would hope that's what I'm going to receive in return. Um, so, you know, not to pay so much attention to, to other people, I think. And I don't, so <laughs> I think that's important. I think that's wonderful advice, Liz. Thank you so much for taking time out of your life to speak with me today. Thank you. This is awesome. Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. 
Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be an army. You wanna...